We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me want I also have been encouraging major sports teams to plan reopenings uh, without fans, but the games could be televised. New York State will help those major sports franchises to do just that. Uh, Hockey, basketball, baseball, football, whoever can reopen. We're a ready, willing, and able partner. Uh, Personal disclosure, I want to watch the Buffalo Bills. But I'm still objective. I'm acting as governor. There's no personal agenda here. Yes, I do want to watch the Bills. But uh, that is not subverting my role as governor. I think this is in the best interest of all the people and in the best interest of the state of New York. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rockpile Report Podcast. I'm your host, Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And that was New York State Governor Andrew Cuomo from his recent press conference talking about NFL football in the state of New York. Because we are the only one. Because we are the only only one. We are the only team in New York. Folks, we have another great show lined up for you tonight. And we've got Matt Perino from New York Upstate joining us. We've got a lot to cover. We're going to be talking about expectations for the 2020 Buffalo Bills. But before we get into that, Chris, our week eight quarantine update. Uh, yeah, uh, I got a new car. Appreciate you driving me to Rochester to go get it. What are friends for, man? What are friends for? I mean, you're partially unemployed, so what else are you going to do? So. Even though, I'll say this, even though your car is red, I'm still a f- good enough a friend to you to drive you out there to pick it up. Thanks. <laughs> Do you think if you had told me the color ahead of time, I would have been like, no. I don't even, I mean, the fact that it's red is, okay, I got a red car. Like, my criteria for a new car was relatively new, it's a 2017 Mazda 3, and then I want extremely low miles, 10,100. 
<laughs> so I, I don't care if it's that it's red. All I care about is that it's a Mazda 3 and it's got low miles. For the listeners who don't know, Chris, explain why you're so married to Mazda. Well, I'm just getting rid of my 08 Mazda 3 and it had two, it's got 262,000 miles on it. I've never had a problem with it under the hood as far as the engine, the transmission. Anything I've had to do is tires, rotors, um, brakes, struts. Shock. General wear and tear type Nothing stuff. under the hood. So it's, That's impressive. That's why I'm it's why I'm back with hey. Mazda. And then the other the other uh, bit of news that I got which I won't say the location, but I mean we could talk about that to begin with, but where I work I've had to temp for the last six months. So I'm getting hired full time. Hell I got, yeah. I got that. Woo! Now we don't we don't discuss where I work. This is a celebration. It's, it's if you if, I think if you go find me on any social media, like personal accounts, I don't think you'll be able to find it because of you know what happened with you a couple of years ago. Eh, it'll be fine. I'm not worried. Listen, everybody out there should know if you come at the king, you better not miss. All right? You want to take a shot at the champ, you come get some. But with that said, with that said, Chris, it sounds like you've had a hell of a week. Your quarantine, your usual quarantine updates, they're boring. This week, you've got all kinds of shit happening. Good for you. Yeah, because I spent $15,000. <laughs> See, I've been fighting boredom, Chris. I'm running out of house projects. I mean, I mean things are getting bad. And finally, it's nice enough to get out and do things. What, over the, what, today was the first nice day we've had here in Western New York? I, I would say in two weeks. Like, two Sundays ago was kind of nice. Yeah, and it then it snowed as, two days later. Yeah, it wasn't as warm as it was today. So, not a whole lot of outdoor projects that I've really been able to put on the docket. I've completed every single thing I can possibly think of inside the interior of my home. Chris, this is how bad it's gotten. My brother texted me a beer cheese recipe for like a beer cheese dip. And that somehow led to me filling out, my wife is looking at this list I'm making. She goes, what are you, what are you planning on going to the store for? And I said, well, I'm going to make a quadruple batch of this cheese dip. And then I'm going to cook a ham. And I'm just going to dip it in there. She goes, well, how much? I go, the whole thing. Chris, this is what we've come to. I'm talking about pounds of ham dipped in cheese. That's the, that's the most exciting thing. That's insane. <laughs> and which is why I can't be left to my own devices. Which is why my wife was more than happy to sign off on kind of a knee-jerk purchase of mine, Chris. And it's probably the best thing that's going to happen to me this summer. Is that what you went and got on Saturday? At yes. After All I, right. After I dropped you off at the car dealership, I drove to North Tonawanda, of all places, yeah. which was hilarious. I know. But. I have to I, drive there every day for work. I bought an, a gigantic offset charcoal smoker for $50. Used for $50 on, uh, off Facebook Marketplace. The gentleman I purchased it from has only used it nine times in the two years he's owned it. He left it sitting outside uncovered, so on the outside it looks like crap. But the grates on this thing are perfect. It just needs a little TLC, Chris. Chris, you, you've got time for TLC. This is perfect for me. Not only am I going to... Chris, I just bought a new grill. My wife would kill me if I told her, hey, we've got a kid on the way. I'm also going to spend $300 on a smoker. Instead, I used... I took 50 bucks. It's going to cost me probably about another 60 in parts and just random odds and ends. By the time this is done, I'm going to have over 1,000 square inches of grilling and smoking space. It's incredible. Chris, this couldn't have come at a better time for me. I'm really excited. 
Yeah, I mean, it's summer. I mean, who doesn't want to be outside drinking beer, working on a smoker? That's the man shit right there. Yeah, you're going to have to do that too and watch a kid, which is, oh, <laughs> gosh. It's, it still has not settled in for me that that's actually, you're going to be a father. I'm already picturing just standing over that massive grill, kid on my hip. Jack, you see that? That's called the brisket. Yeah, you see that? We, we did a Dalmatian rub on this because that's Texas style. If you're not doing a Texas style, you might as well quit. Yeah, that, that'll end up being like his first word. What was your kid's first word? Oh, brisket. <laughs> he said it at six months old wearing his Chelsea boots he got from Uncle Chris. <laughs> my kid will not be wearing Chelsea boots, I swear to God. You, if you and my wife conspire against me on this, I will, I will lose it. I've already got him five pairs. Oh, my God. And also, something else really cool happened this week, Chris. We got beer. Oh, yeah. Kyle Washington. From Mr. Kyle Washington, all the way from Nevada. Sent us a care package, and in it happened to be a little bit of you know, some, some, some non-regional suds. And, Chris, we're going to try one of them here on the podcast. What do you got for me? Uh, all together? All, I would have given, given you the porter. The salted caramel yes, porter? Yes, because you, uh, of what, last week or two weeks ago? So, folks, this altogether brew is apparently, so this is by Revision Brewing Company outside of, I believe, Nevada. If I'm looking at the can correctly. Well, Nevada's a state. Sparks, Nevada. Outside of Sparks, Nevada. And this altogether collaboration they're doing is West Coast and East Coast breweries getting together to try to put together beers that proceeds from which are going to go to support people in the hospitality industry who are currently out of work, which in and of itself is an, Chris, tell me that that's not a worthwhile pursuit, especially for a beer, for, for various breweries and beer companies. Yeah, that seems uh, reasonable to do in these trying times that we're living in. It's also a hazy IPA, 6.5% alcohol by volume. Man, Chris, I'm going to pour you out a little bit here. Yeah, me we are going to partake because social distancing. Chris. Right, that's enough. Social distancing, Chris, and you're going to drink a full glass like a man. This is like this is actually a my Ellicottville Brewing Company sample glass. Hey, cheers to Kyle Washington. Yep, appreciate the beer. And cheers to a successful week for you during quarantine. That this smells very IPA e. For being a hazy IPA, it's real light on the palate. It does. It's got a lot of citrus. And the smell to it is a very fruity scent. It's real light. Finishes clean. This is a fantastic beer. I don't mind it. It doesn't, you know, if you're any, anyone out there that is not like an IPA fan because of the aftertaste, this is not a heavy IPA aftertaste. It doesn't have a lot of the hoppiness. When it hits your palate, at least the fruit notes overpower the, the kind of the deep hops that usually come along with this type of beer. It's... It's really surprising. I'm impressed, Chris. I mean, I don't know that... I mean, I know there, there's breweries around here, like Resurgence and... Uh, 42 North. 42 North, who have tried to go with this hazy IPA route. This is easily better than any of them. Easily better. Yeah. And it's a big reason why I encourage people to try to branch out. Try some beers that are not from your area. Anybody out there interested, contact us. We'll, we'll help you figure it out. You know, we'll work on a little Suds Exchange program here. Our listeners, get a hold of us at Rockpile Report. You can DM us, open DMs. We'll figure this out. Let's start to dabble at each other. We'll stimulate the economy yeah. one beer at a time. 
I'm guessing you can balk at the idea of, well, I don't know if I should be doing that. Well, let me tell you this. Chris, we've already done it. Yeah. Right? I mail beer all the time. And as a wise man, Joey Diaz, once said, if you're going to walk on ice, you might as well tap dance. <laughs> so at Rockpile Report, if anybody else is interested in getting in on this, and Kyle, thank you for this delicious beer. So folks, we're having a great week over here at the Rockpile Report, and we're going to keep it rolling by getting into the meat and potatoes of tonight's show. And with that, we're going to introduce tonight's guest, Rockpile Report regular, Mr. Matt Perino. How are you doing, sir? What's up, boys? Thanks for having me in the... Uh... No problem, no problem. I mean, these days, we all got to stay busy. And for those of you new to the show, unfamiliar, Mr. Matt Perino is a, he's the Bills beat reporter for New York Upstate, Syracuse.com. He's got all kinds of, all kinds of web content. And he recently started a podcast, Bills Talk with Mm. Matt Perino. Now, why don't you tell us a little bit about the format of that and how that came to be? Yeah, it's my baby, man. And we, we actually, we launched it a little bit before um, I planned to. I was gonna, I was gonna, you know, we've been talking about it when I was when I've been on the show before about you know some plans that I had, and my idea was to go right before training camp and do some live hits from uh, from Pittsburgh and you know the big you know selling point of it is we go live on Wednesday nights at seven o'clock with a live guest, a live show every week, and we. We sped up the process and went completely virtual, and actually the format's working out pretty well to the, to the point where we think we're going to keep it a, a regular thing. Uh, we're still going to have in-person, um, hopefully eventually a studio, but for right now, what we're doing, uh, it's been a lot of uh, you know, great reception, and um, yeah, I, I, luckily I've, I've had a bunch of really great podcasts in the market that I've been able to kind of go on and pick pick your guys' brains, you guys obviously being at the forefront of it. And it's a it's a it's a labor of love. It's a it's a big haul, as you know. Mm-hmm. But uh once you get it going, I think it's one of the best to reach the fan base on a more personal level. Because you're gonna see all types of different things. Like one big cool part of my show now is going to be a monthly segment with somebody from my family. I got like a big Italian family. And they're all diehard Buffalo Bills fans. Like that—that's my lineage. I mean, I came up in this, and you know, I think that there's a lot of cool content ideas I have with, you know, mainly my uncle Tony, who's a who's a hoot. But hang on, whoa, uh, yeah, whoa, 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 whoa! A guy from an Italian family has an has a relative named Tony. <gasps> Does he drive a town car? I'm shocked. <laughs> Call me shocked. No, he actually he only drives like fast cars. It used to be a. Uh, a Lamborghini. He used to be a, a cop. In, uh, no, <laughs> never that that level. But you know, he usually can get to from uh, Brockport, New York, which is right outside of Rochester, to Buffalo in about thirty minutes. And if you know how, how long that drive usually takes, oh yeah, you know he's got a bit of a lead foot. But <laughs> no, he's just fun. He's like sixty years old. He doesn't give a shit. Like it's 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 just a great forty-five minutes to an hour. He comes to me every family party with a list of Phil's questions. So I said, hey, let's do this on a podcast and let everybody enjoy it. Well, you've had some great guests recently. I mean, you recently did a show with Chad Michael Murray, which, mm. like, when I saw that, I was like, Chad Michael Murray? All right. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll watch this because I'll watch this because I, I, I want to see where he's going here. And then you recently had a show featuring a story with a guy talking about his, how he lost his fandom. Like, mm-hmm. there's a lot mm-hmm. of interesting stuff you're covering over there. Guys, 
go check it out. Where can they find your podcast? Yeah, so we're on Apple, um, Google, Spotify, and uh, Acast is like our main platform, but I know a lot of people are more familiar with the other three. Uh, but yeah, download any of those apps. Bill's Talk with Matt Perino, Ryan Talbot, he should be, his name should be in the, uh, in the show title, but when we launched it, we didn't really have a format yet, and creative was rushing so far, but he's just as much a part of it as, as I am. He's on it every week. Uh, eventually, we'll take care of that, but it's uh, Bill's Talk with Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. Every Wednesday night live on YouTube and search NYF if you want to find it. So now we just got done talking about what an awesome week we've had in terms of quarantine. I gotta ask okay. you, first off, how have you been dealing with quarantine just in terms of being a Buffalonian and a parent? Well, from that perspective, it's tough because my wife is, is a full-time teacher and she's actually, it's, it's kind of bad timing, she's getting her master's degree. So she's a teacher, she's studying teaching, and now she has to go and teach uh, my five-year-old little boy who's just a ball of energy and hecticness and my daughter who's just uh, just turned two and is kind of learning all of you know the new things that little little kids newborns learn um, so it's it's really a lot on her shoulders and I'm trying to supplement where I can and, and help as much as I can and but you know it's tough man it's tough for all families out there I I was talking to somebody the other day that had that has four kids and they're all like from grades like kindergarten to 10th grade and I was just like I can't even imagine what a every day in the life of that looks like because I just know how hectic it is with just the two kids but you know it's luckily I work from home like that's in the off season especially like I'm not really at the at the stadium too often so my from my job perspective it's been kind of normal other than the fact that I have to do it with two little rugrats running around all the time which can be trying at time like right now I'm just taking a nice leisurely drive around the city of Buffalo uh, as we do this podcast because, you know, my son just came down and it's it's still light out. So he wants to stay up till probably nine o'clock. So it's just hectic. But hey, a lot of time with family, which is great. And, and Drew, my man, you're going to have a lot of time of your own coming up with your, with your little one. Oh, I know, man. I'm, I'll tell you this. I've been I've been cool throughout this entire process. Unflappable. Just not a care because that's typically my attitude towards most things. I mean, some some people would call it nihilism, but it's not. It's it's just that I don't have a whole lot of emotion one way or the other about most things. And then yesterday, I really couldn't I couldn't focus on trying to put this show. I wasn't even sure if the show was going to happen, and I I couldn't figure out a way to force myself to focus on anything really. And I'm walking around my house and I'm trying to piece things together and. I had to Google my symptoms. It turns out that's called anxiety. That's, that's called anxiousness. And it's not a sensation I've ever really felt in my entire life before. And I realized, like, I'm fine. Like, it's settling in now that this is real. This is real. It's happening. Everything my life has been for 35 years, it's going to cease to be that forever. <laughs> and so I guess it's just you're processing a lot of different thoughts and different emotions but it, it's called me emotionally retarded. It just now happened. It's just all kind of hitting me. But I'm excited, man. I really am. Now, you touched on something here as far as dealing with quarantine as a writer. You're talking about a guy who works in this field. When you're quarantined and you're with your family 
and there's not a whole lot going on, OTAs aren't going to happen. You're not getting the you know the mini camp reports. You're not. Has it been? Have you found it difficult to come up with content during this uh, kind of downtime? No, just because it's been so podcast heavy. I've been working so hard on that, and I work with you know the premier aggregator in the market in Ryan. Like Ryan has this like ability to he's a machine find find anything that's happening and make it news like anytime all the time and so he's so good at that that it allows me to like work on some other projects and when i'm on the beat it allows me to really dive into you know getting to know the game you know what i mean like I, i tell people all the time like when you cover a professional sport like i grew up watching football i grew up watching the bills but as 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 deep as I ever was at my deepest, I, I didn't even have a clue in terms of how the game works from a strategic perspective, from a roster building perspective. And so I've just been spending the last two plus years educating myself. And, you know, I, I, I think I can write. I think I can report. I think I can be on video and do audio and do podcasts and all this kind of stuff. But you got to know what you're talking about, too. So I spend a lot of time just listening and reading and researching and I just feel like I'm coming into my own as someone who's becoming an expert on the, the thing that I do for my job. See, and, that, and I'm talking about just scratching the surface. I'm not even close to being there yet, you know? Well, and that's the one thing that I think is cool and I think that Bills fans in, in particular are spoiled with because we have so much, Chris, out there right now for Bills fans. People who are quarantined, people who have time on their hands, yourself, you've said it, you've learned so much from other, just from podcasts and blogs and guys like Eric Turner, guys like Nick and Nolan, guys like uh, Joe Marino. I know these guys are the, I call them the quote unquote smart guys when it comes to podcasting because they're the guys who, I mean, they know this stuff. And so when you, even the guys over at Hashtag Sports, yeah. when you go to Mario and you ask him to pick his brain about formations and about play progressions and things like that, these guys know it and they're put, they're constantly manufacturing this content. And now with all this time, you can actually, guys like Chris, yourself, people who want to know more about that, it's all out there to be had. And it all is kind of filtered through a Buffalo Bills lens, which makes it really accessible to fans. So take this time. I urge all of our listeners... You, I mean, obviously you're into it, to go out there and take this opportunity to get smarter about the game if that's something you're passionate about. But with that, I think that that's the perfect launching point for us to start this week's Bills News Update. Because we, folks, as a fan base, have had a busy, busy quarterback. And I'm talking about Josh Allen, the jet setter. Someone who has impressed me with how they've handled their quarantine is Bills quarterback Josh Allen. Chris, he starts the offseason playing three's company with uh, Carolina's Kyle Allen and Jets quarterback Sam Darnold out in California. He's clearly the John Ritter of the group. (laughs) Clearly. And then apparently he's taken it a step farther in the last week or so, getting workouts and time in with guys he's actually going to be sharing a locker room with. It was reported last week that Josh Allen was in Southern California working out and doing some (laughs) drills. And doing some throwing. I mean, I saw Matt, you guys in, over there at New York Upstate and Syracuse.com had some pieces about it. Getting some face time, getting some drills, some workouts in with our rookie offensive skill players. Talking wide receiver Gabe, Gabe Davis 
and Isaiah Hodgins, running back Zach Moss. And folks, if you go on Twitter, the video of it was shot by EBA Productions. You can go check out the video for yourselves on Twitter if you're so inclined. Now, how important do you think that is, Matt, at this point in the offseason that Josh Allen's out there engaging with these guys? Massively important, man. Like, you know, we've talked so much about, like, the leg up that the Bills have on a lot of teams because of the, tur- like, the lack of turnover on their roster. I mean, well, they've, they've gone out and probably added it at every position, maybe outside of uh, tight end. But, you know, a lot of the same pieces are returning. And if they're not the same pieces, you know, there are a lot of Carolina connections and McDermott and Bean connections. So the continuity is there. But you can't have continuity with rookies. I mean, that's just not how it works. And so you've got to spend the time, and that's what this time usually is for in the spring, to be able to, you know, kind of get your guys on the same page. You know, how much time did Josh Allen spend, and all the quarterbacks really spend, with Robert Foster and Zay Jones two summers ago. And, you know, last year, Isaiah McKenzie when he was here. And, and so to get these guys up to speed just on the basics of like the playbook so they can come to training camp you know, if training camp looks like, you know, we hope it can look or, or happen at least. I don't think it's going to happen in uh, St. John Fisher like most years just because oh, no. you know, we can't really get people together. No, <laughs> I'm so sure. I don't think that that's really possible. Well, and here, um, so, go ahead. No, I was going to say, here's one of the things I want to pick your brain about, kind of, kind of in the same vein of what you're talking about here. As a credentialed member of the media, you've attended a lot of mini camps and a lot of OTA practices. Other than the instructional time, which they're essentially now doing remotely via, I, I don't know if they're using Teams or if they're using Zoom, it, it doesn't matter. It's just, it's a webinar. And then the time that they would normally be spending together in the weight room, at this point in the season, there's really no padded contact practices. So when you watch the video of what he's out there, he and uh, Matt Barkley are out there doing with these rookies in terms of just talking about the playbook, discussing what's going on, you know, throwing, running patterns, them discussing where he wants them to be. Is it, a, is it a fair assessment to say that this is probably what they would be physically doing together if they were, in fact, at OTAs already? Yeah, like, to a degree. Like, you know, to not have all of your coaches available to you and you're going through all this process, I mean – Listen, having Matt Barkley out there with them is, is really uh, a luxury. And, you know, it, it probably would be better if Dable was there and Dorsey was there and the whole uh, Chad Hall. Uh, but, you know, it's something funny I've been thinking about. Like, poor Zay Jones. Like, you go back to his rookie year and his second year and, like, who he had around him to learn from. And, you know, Calvin Benjamin and, you know, Deontay Thompson, like, he was a great guy. Like, um, I think he was a good locker room guy. But just the caliber of player that now Isaiah Hodgins and Gabe Davis are going to have to learn from. You're talking about two of the best route runners. In the, well, three if you add in Cole Beasley. John Brown and Stephon Diggs are three of the best route runners in the NFL at their position. They're, they're, there's over a decade, almost two decades worth of experience. So these guys come in here without a care in the world. They're not going to have any expectations in terms of production. And so they're just going to get to come in and pick their spot and try to make an impact where they can. I mean, they're just set up so much differently for success. And that goes back to how Brandon Bean had built this roster and why 
these guys, these young guys are, are so much better positioned to succeed. You bring in Devin Singletary as a third round pick, he gets to learn from Frank Gore. Now he gets to pass that along to Zach Moss, the, the next up and coming guy that he can pair him with. So, you know, this, there, there's no way in my estimation this offense doesn't take a significant jump this year. Like, I'm talking 25 points per game is, is probably where I'm starting my expectations. Jesus Christ. Well, we're going to get to that in a second, but good Lord. Here's, here's, here's a question that I have for you because I've been thinking about this. This is usually the time of year where rookies are getting their second stint in the same room working with NFL coaching staffs. You know, there's typically the rookie minicamp that'll take place. Then there's OTAs. Then there's actual, then there's actual minicamp. And then everyone kind of goes their separate ways for the summer. So by this point, Rookies have had at least two different opportunities to be in the same room, face-to-face, working with their individual position coaches. And so when you look at the offensive players they added, Hodgins and Davis and Zach Moss, do you think that that represents the biggest setback for these players this time of year? Yes. um, And don't forget, my man, Jake Fromm coming in for the the much-anticipated backup quarterback role but no yeah I think not having this stuff is going to have an impact you know especially like you know like rookie wise like I think AJ Epinesa where I think he needs this he's coming more pro ready than I would even say Ed Oliver came last year and I know that that's probably eye-opening because he was a second round pick but he played at Iowa I think he played a better caliber uh, consistent caliber of opponent um, he comes in with, you know, uh, I just think that playing in the conference that Ed played in, and he told me, like, he, he came in expecting to win the same way he won. And, and I think he was a little bit arrogant in the way that he approached his rookie season. Epinesa doesn't have that luxury. He has to come in here and absolutely kill it to not only, like, he'll make the team, but to, to get a significant role on the team. I mean, it's... You're going to have to beat out Trent Murphy, who, let's be honest, he's not going anywhere. <laughs> and you're going to have to, for, for reps, for Mario Addison, Quentin Jefferson, um, Jerry Hughes, and don't that's, that's not mentioning Daryl Johnson, who they love, and Mike Love, who's coming off the injury. Oh, yeah. So there, it's going to be a packed house on that defensive line in terms of competition. So uh, from that perspective, it's good, but, but you make a good point. Like th- There's going to be an impact around the league. I, I think that you won't see as many rookies have the kind of instant impact like you have seen in recent years just because of the lack of time on the field together. I mean, we're looking at, you know, four or five week training camp and, you know, you open up the gates and let the horses go. And it's going to be interesting to see if the caliber of football is, is lower. Well, and that's exactly the situation Brandon being alluded to during his Zoom press conference with both yourself and other members of the media back in March. He was talking about how, especially at wide receiver, young, raw talents would probably struggle to get a full slate of offseason coaching. And how that was how that kind of shaped their decision when he discussed the trade for Stefan Diggs. You know, snooping around at the trade deadline was, you know, finding somebody opposite John Brown, you know, and being paired with, with Cole Beasley. You know, again, the draft was is stacked with receivers as well. We've we've talked about that before. But I think it became ever present with this, what's going on around us. We don't know what kind of offseason we'll have. 
I just felt like it was going to be really hard unless I traded up really high to find a guy that I know could walk in day one. Let's just say it's August before we get back to things. You know, I just felt a proven commodity was, you know, was worth this. You know, the trade value of, of this move, Matt, probably moved us up three to four slots from 22. Might have got us to 18, 19. Not as high as I thought we would have had to get to to get one of those, you know, premier, premier guys that I knew would walk in the door even August 1st and be ready to roll. That's Brandon Bean from his press conference over at buffalobills.com back in March. So it's clear that this team had an understanding that this was going to be a problem, and it's... And I'll add this to that, though. Sorry to interrupt, but I'll add this to that. From conversations I've had, I don't think the Bills thought anybody had the chance to, like, make an immediate impact. And, you know, we're talking about Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, uh, I watched those Lamb, two. Listen, all those guys could be great. I'm a guy who watched Henry Ruggs and Jerry Judy said. play. I watched every single one of their games this season. I've watched their entire collegiate careers. I'm right now. I'm wearing an Alabama. Chris, am I or am I not wearing an Alabama shirt? That unfortunately does say A for Alabama. <laughs> Should say A for asshole. But with I that said, I still doubt that they're going to come in and be oh my god dominant receiver from jump. So with that said, I, I'd agree with that. There's nobody who was walking through that door as a rookie who was just going to come in and acclimate to an NFL offense the way they needed to, especially knowing what's at stake this year, what's up for grabs. Now, it was interesting hearing Josh Allen. He does the interview with the guy from EAB Productions on the Twitter video. He states that it's good to see the rookies out there physically executing the playbook and that it's obvious that they knew it. So, well, it's interesting to see if the distance learning and some face time with that quarterback is enough to keep them up to speed. I, I think that if you had to look at any group of these rookie skill players, I mean, obviously Zach Moss being a part of the passing game, I, I think that he's going to... I just don't foresee him being a huge part of that, given given the way McDermott likes to ease rookies into things. I mean, you look at what... I'll never, I'll never forget... Matt Milano, knowing what we know about him now, watching him split time with Ramon Humber. I'll never, I will never forgive this. The fact that we had to watch half a season of Ramon Humber before Matt Milano saw snaps, but it was because that's how McDermott likes to coach. He likes to make his guys earn it. In that way, I don't think that they're going to trust Moss in terms of being in on passing downs right out of the gate. So this drilling and stuff for him is all well and good. I think the guy who stands to gain the most from it is Gabe Davis, a guy that you recently did a piece about over at Syracuse.com. Now, when all of your research for that piece, did you walk away from it as impressed with him as I did? Yes, and actually, it goes back to after the Bills drafted him, I came across a video that he had done with um, Brandon Marshall, who he, you know, coincidentally, he broke his single season record last year at UCF. Uh, for yardage in a season and touchdowns, you know he had himself a qu- quite a good year. And you know I covered UB, um, so I'm very familiar with the MAC. And you know it's definitely a, a second tier league, but the competition in that league is stiff. I mean, you take a look at a guy like Cam Lewis who came out of UB, and he's sitting on the Bills practice squad right now. They love him, man. I mean, he's going to be a real threat to uh, Levi Wallace. EJ Gaines, if, if he's not up to snuff. I mean, I think he's got a real chance to make this 
this this roster this year as a depth piece. And so those are the kind of caliber players that Gabe Davis was going up against week in and week out in, in that in that division. But you know, Marshall said something interesting in the piece. He's like he, he had him on the whiteboard going through all of his different um, routes and different concepts that, that he ran at UCF, which obviously was much different than when he was there. Different coach, different um, system, and all that kind of stuff. And he said, and he started acting about or, or talking to him about the importance of making each route look the same. So that means like what you do with your shoulders, what you do with your hips, what you do with your feet. Because if you could do that, you really tend to disguise what you're going to do. And so if you don't have that quickness that say a Stefan Diggs has, that suddenness to be able to break the line of scrimmage, if you have some deceptiveness to your game, you're able to, you know, really fool defenders. And he said that's something that he didn't even learn until two or three Pro Bowls into his career. And, and that completely changed his, his ability in the red zone. So this is a guy that comes in and, you know, you always hear them talk about guys that love ball, that are smart, that understand uh, an offense. And Davis falls into that category of somebody that I think he's a little bit ahead of most of these guys because he's going to be able to consume the playbook pretty quickly and – um, they were happy with – also, this was interesting. They were happy with what they saw on the practice tape that they sent for from UCF because they were able to see some more depth to his route tree than they saw on the, ta- on the, on the game tape. And so he comes in as a – and again, I think the, the, the quintessential piece to all this is that he's not going to have to do a whole lot. Well, exactly. He does right? this year is just gravy. Exactly. And that's the thing I love about this. I mean, Chris and I just watched the, the first installment of this year's uh, Buffalo Bills Embedded before we started recording this podcast. Great episode. And one of the things you take away from it is how much Brandon Bean liked Gabe Davis. I mean, he was talking with his associates about how we hope he runs a slow 40 because we know he plays fast. So please, four, let, four, five, eight. please let him run a slow 40 just so he might fall a little bit. And that's what ended up happening. And so it's one of those situations where not only is it a fit from that perspective in terms of the team wanting the player, the player working on his skill set, his skill set not being needed right away. But also, I'm just impressed with the fact that it was Gabe Davis who put this whole practice session together. You want to talk about endearing yourself to your quarterback. He's the one who reached out to everybody, planned the logistics of how Josh Allen was going to get from where he was working out with Sam Darnold to where he wanted to practice, to get the other rookies involved. That's a guy, Chris, that sounds like a guy who's bought in already. Yeah. He also just wants so, to do whatever sounds it takes. like leadership. Exactly. Now, obviously, and I think that one of the biggest things is hearing that he's already worked out with John Brown this offseason, trying to figure out... Stayed at his house. Stayed at his house and worked with him. He's immediately gravitated towards who's the, who's the best route runner on this football team right now. Okay, it's John Brown. I want to go talk to John Brown because John Brown plays a game that I want to play. His skill set is the skill set I want to have in two years. So I want to go learn from that guy. And he went out and did it. I, I'm impressed by this. Now, we talked about the fact that there's an almost no... <laughs> you, you almost don't need these rookies to contribute right away, which kind of says a lot about what the Bills have accomplished this offseason. When you talk about Diggs, he's been training down in Florida. He's the, he was the big, I mean, I think he was the, Chris, we talked about it in this podcast, one of the biggest trades I've seen the Bills make in Brandon Bean's tenure here. One of the biggest moves he's made in his tenure here. He's been working out down in Florida 
which it turns out because our quarterback is a, hey, he's a world traveler, jet setter. That's his next destination. The report came out late last week that Allen's going to swap coasts heading to what is the hilarious police blotter capital of the country down in Florida to get some workouts in with his new wide receiver along with John Brown and Cole Beasley, his two favorite targets from 2019. I mean, when you think about this, Chris, given that Diggs already has the small things, the nuances of football down to a science, and is likely balls deep in our playbook already with with what has got to be a decent understanding of it, what, Matt, do you think, is this more just about familiarity with the quarterback at this point? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that you need those reps. Like, I, I think it's funny, like, talking to Cole all, like, throughout the different progressions in the season, different, like, uh, you know, target points of the season. And, you know, his confidence level in his talking about his relationship with Josh on the field grew exponentially each at each point of the season that I talked to him about it. And, you know, I think when the, when the Bills struggled offensively early and, you know, everybody went to Cole's locker room because it was, you know, he's the one of the best interviews on the team. And he was quick to say, listen, man, I've, I've been in this league a long time. I played with two quarterbacks for multiple years. And I can tell you this right now, it takes time to develop the chemistry. And, Right now, I mean, if you're looking at July as the first time that Diggs and, and Allen can get on a football field together, that's that's no bueno, man. Like they gotta get, they gotta just start feeling out each other as as players, what they like. And and even Cole said, you know, he had to go up to Josh during training camp and say, "Hey, brother, did you ever see that movie, uh, Mighty Ducks?" Yeah. I mean, I know Chris has seen it. Uh, the second one. Uh, one of the guys tells Espinosa, uh, the real speed demon, he's like, he keeps, he keeps falling into the boards and he keeps telling, cause he's so fast, he can't stop. And he's like, hey, 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 use the brakes, baby. <laughs> I, Cole had to go up to, to Josh and be like, dude, take a little bit off of these balls, man. Like, this is, <laughs> you, you're killing me here. And so, you know, Stefan Diggs is going to have to figure out a way to build his own rapport with Josh Allen. And so, that, these kinds of moments are, are huge for starting to develop that because, you talk about going from one polar opposite to the other, Kirk Cousins to Josh Allen in terms of what you're dealing with oh, in Jesus. terms of arm strength is a, is a completely different world. So oh, it absolutely be interesting is. to see how that plays out. No, for sure. I mean, you're talking about a wide receiver needing to get a field, regardless of how many years of experience he has. The quarterback has to get a feel for a way the wide receiver breaks. What do those mechanics look like that's going to help him build anticipation? I mean, one of the biggest knocks against Tyrod Taylor when he was here as our quarterback kind of came from the fact that he didn't know how to throw wide receivers open. He was a guy who had to see you open first, and then he would pull the trigger. And early on in his career, Josh Allen was the same guy. Now, last year, you saw him make strides in that department, but to your point with Cole Beasley, it didn't happen until he had a nuanced understanding of how Cole operates. Once he saw, like, hey, these are the physical tells that I'm going to know from watching Cole when he's going to break on an inside option route, I'm going to be able to watch him move, and I'm going to know that when he hit, when he hits this certain hitch in his step, that means he's cutting inside. So I can throw with a little anticipation and know that Cole's going to be there. That's the type of stuff that you normally build throughout this offseason process. So it's good to see that he's out there getting that in with this guy and not, not wasting time waiting until camp to start in order to get on the same page with these guys. 
And so, well, people out there listening to this podcast probably think I'm making too much of this. Hey, Chris, it just sounds like it's throwing throwing a football. You as Joe, every fan. You got to have chemistry with your receivers. That's what this is. Okay, but it sounds like practice against air. Yeah. Here's why I think it's such a big deal. If you take a look around the division by comparison to the effort Josh Josh Allen's making to get FaceTime and reps and just to sit down and get to know his wide receivers, you look at Jets quarterback Sam Darnold. He worked out with Allen in March, but an exhaustive search of New York Jets news and various websites, Chris, which, yes, it was as painful as it sounds. Searching New York Jets news. Turned up absolutely no mention of him working with any of his teammates. Literally, he has not thrown a ball to any of his teammates. As of three days ago, he's still working with Jordan Palmer alone out in California. Now, you take a look at that team. You know, Perino mentioned the, the continuity that's existed here in Buffalo. We have our top two wide receivers from last year, and we've added another high-talent target for Josh Allen. You look at the Jets, they're in a completely different situation. They have a rookie in Denzel Mims and journeyman Brashad Perryman, who are supposed to just step into their top three. And yet they haven't they haven't even been in the same room as Sam Darnold. Matt, do you think that that's unwise as a franchise that's looking for this guy to take the next step? I mean, yeah, but it doesn't surprise me. <laughs> it's Adam Gase, man. This, Dude. Is, uh, this has been become the Adam Gase show. Dude, Um, speaking of that googly-eyed jerk, I mean, this is what we're talking about. He's going to have a whole new skill position group, and he's got a ton of turnover on the offensive line in front of him. His protection, that's going to take time to gel. And the fact that he's not getting any work with anyone, I mean, that just seems like a giant risk for a team that, for the coach's sake, probably can't afford a whole lot of setbacks this year. Yeah, and I also I'm googling it right now, I'm trying to rush. Like, who is their offensive line coach? You can say what you want about you know the Bills, um, what they did last year. They brought in they brought in a couple of journeymen. You know, I mean, John Feliciano never had the kind of opportunity that he had last year. He took full advantage of it. Um, you know, Quentin Spain also had some success in Tennessee. I think he was a little bit better than people really gave him credit for when he got here. But uh, again, guys that you know. They weren't on anybody's Pro Bowl radar, and a rookie in Cody Ford, uh, a guy, Deion Dawkins, who was coming off of a disappointing season. So I think that, you know, Bobby Johnson's impact last year can't be understated. And I, and I have said, I think on this podcast, you know, what my takeaway from last year and Johnson mm-hmm. was, how important he was to not only the, you know, the offensive linemen on this team, but the running backs on this team. And so I think that I want to see who, you know, who, who these guys had to work with because I wasn't I'm not overly impressed with the veterans that the um, the Jets brought in on, no. their, on their offensive line. The, the, the one guy Van Van Rotten wasn't even in the NFL a couple of years ago. He was sitting on a couch watching TV on Sundays, and now he's supposed to step in as their starting guard, and their fans somehow think that's an upgrade. Yeah, and it's Jet, it's the Jets, man. Like <laughs> they gotta. Their fan base has been through a lot, just like the Bills fan base has been through a lot. So yeah, I, I but they it. seem to deserve it. I'm not gonna lie. I, I think we, I think we could just leave it at that. They seem to deserve it more than we do. And then so what's funny? I went to I went to UB obviously. So and UB is like a real hotbed for Long Island, New York City kids. And so 
during my time there, I, I met a an, an abundance of New York Jets fans. And I have to say, I agree with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah they, they deserve every inch of this. So then when you look around the, the other two teams in the division, what, do you, what you have is first-year starters at the respective teams. You've got Tua Tagovailoa, who hopefully they don't rush this kid. Being an Alabama fan, I know that the kid has some real talent. I mean, I'm, Miami's my pick to catch up to the Bills if nobody else can. But Tua Tagovailoa hasn't taken an NFL snap yet and hasn't done any work with his teammates. Ryan Fitzpatrick, he is what he is. He's the journeyman. He's a gunslinger. He's a tough guy. He's a smart guy. But he's athletically limited, and he's limited in what he can give you in the W column. It's not truly Tagovailoa's team, so I don't think he has the ability to really take the reins on that. And the same thing with Jared Stidham. I mean, he can not only he can't work at team facilities, doesn't have a whole lot of experience running an NFL huddle or reading a defense. He doesn't seem to have any reported activity with his skill position teammates outside of whatever their team-sanctioned video sessions are. Now, it could just be because it's the Patriots and everything that they do is secretive and somehow cheating, which, again, I would totally accept. Chris, I would, I would accept that as fact. <laughs> but essentially what we're seeing here is the fact that the Buffalo Bills have a quarterback who is not just the team not not just one of the team captains, but a de facto leader of this football team, illustrating that he understands what's at stake this year and how important preparation is, and he's the only one in the division under center who's getting it right now. How how much farther ahead of the curve do you think that puts him? Uh he's definitely ahead of the curve, and it's funny. Like some, I saw somebody tweet like Ryan. It was like a Patriots reporter, I think. But like they said, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick was the best quarterback in the division last year. And I kind of just had a chuckle. And, and I know that there's this narrative on Josh. And that's, it's not going to go away until he makes it go away. But it's just, that's just crazy talk, man. Like, come on. Like, the guy had 29 touchdowns last year. Like, you can tell me, you can tell me to your blue in the face about completion percentage and all these different PFF metrics. And I'll tell you how many game-changing plays that a guy makes because you could you could make you could complete 70% of your passes but you don't score enough points it's not going to matter and in in 10 games the bills scored enough points to win and i and i'd argue that you know they probably scored enough points to win in that Houston game and and i say that because the the this team is the identity of this team is this defense and this defense let them down and i know you're not going to shut out every team but you also shouldn't be giving up 16 points in that short amount of time that they, they gave up last year. And so, listen, I, I, I digress. But I think that Josh Allen is positioned better than any quarterback in this division. I think he has more talent around him on his offense than any quarterback on this divi- in his division. And that would include Tom Brady if he was still on the Patriots. So we're talking about you know the kind of bounce back to reality for New England. I think that bounce was coming – irregardless of, of Tom Brady being there or not. I think that this is an offense that sputtered last year, that kind of was banging its head against the wall, and who knows? Maybe Josh McDaniels and, and Jared Stidham or Brian Hoyer or whoever, they can build the kind of chemistry and, and get on the same page because it looks like reports indicate that Brady and McDaniels did not get along at the end, and maybe that has something to do with it, but I just don't see the weapons, the, the, the difference-making weapons on that offense. I mean, they went out and got two tight ends, that, you know, both of them kind of were head scratchers to me, but I, I don't follow the college game as much as most. So maybe 
they have, uh, you know, they've drafted tight ends before and, and made them into into weapons. So we'll see. But I just think the Bills are set up offensively better than anybody in the division. Well, Demet, your point. The first offense that the Buffalo Bills gave Josh Allen, and if we were to make a comparison, if that first offense was Chris's old 2008 Mazda 3, then this 2020 offense would be a 2019 Aston Martin uh, <laughs> Aston Martin Vantage. I mean, it's it's not it's incomparable how many weapons he has now compared to what he started with. And he, he seems to be doing all the right things. He seems to be putting himself in, in a position to succeed. Not only does he have what I consider to be the most complete and experienced group of skill players, but it seems like he's not wasting any time to try to do as much as he can to foster a relationship with them. We just have to hope that that pays dividends when 2020 kicks off. Which leads me to my next topic. Realistic expectations for Josh Allen and the 2020 Buffalo Bills. And has the national media already just blown past them? Now, I can't believe I'm about to say this because it's probably the first time it's happened in my adult life, Chris. But for my tastes, I believe the national media may have lost their minds when it comes to prognosticating the fortunes of the 2020 Buffalo Bills. I mean, it started with NFL Network's Adam Shine when he named Josh Allen his pick as, quote-unquote, NFL MVP Dark Horse. Let that sink in for a second, guys. We just heard a member of the national media call a Buffalo Bills quarterback a potential candidate for the league's most valuable player award. And instead of being dragged from his home in a straitjacket, his co- two, two, two other anchors at NFL Network, Kyle Brandt and Nate Burleson, expanded on that point as to why they might agree. Adam Shine, one of the greatest talkers in the business, gave an awesome column about his dark horse candidates for NFL MVP okay. this year. NFL The Comments. An awesome. you got to read this thing. And at the top of his list, the number one candidate was Josh Allen of the Buffalo Bills. So, Nate, when you hear that, with the use of your surface, would you play chicken and just stare it down for a while? Or would you say, yeah, Adam Shine, you nailed it. I'm all in. Go get the chicken. You know what? I'll say go get it. I, I can appreciate that. I like the fact that Josh Allen has uh, more pieces now. And then I think the biggest piece is the one that's not in his division, and that's Tom Brady that has moved to Tampa. So for me, Josh Allen just seeing steady growth throughout his career thus far. And if a guy has been trending upwards and then you give him another weapon like Stephon Diggs, then I expect him to be even more successful. Josh Allen is almost at the crescendo of his career, and they're building around him. Sometimes you see young quarterbacks who are really good, and the team doesn't do their job. I see the Buffalo Bills doing their job by adding to the squad and Josh Allen repaying them by playing well this season. That's Kyle Brandt, Nate Burleson. Good morning, Football NFL Network. I first just want to let that audio breathe for a second. (sighs) Chris, dead air on a podcast is never a good thing. I know, I'll cut that out. But no, 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 because I think I needed that to collect myself. You just heard three members of the national media talking about how this isn't a stretch. Josh Allen, crescendo of his career. Bill's team doing the right things around a quarterback. I want to tell you all a story. You know, Chris, you've said it before, campfire stories with Drew. This should be a bit. 
Yeah, it should be a bit. 2015, I'm in Pittsburgh at the Rivers Casino. It's 10 a.m. Okay, My friends are all there playing cards. It's probably a Thursday morning at this point. It's the middle of summer. Sports Center's on. It's pre-training camp. And they're talking about the Buffalo Bills impending quarterback battle in Rex Ryan's first year. They're talking about the quarterback competition that's about to take place between E.J. Manuel, Matt Castle, and Tyrod Taylor. They're going around the table talking about who they like, who they don't like. who. Would it... So they focus on fucking Mark Schlereth's face, and he proceeds to talk about the fact that he doesn't see an NFL quarterback anywhere on this roster, and he red X's all three candidates. And then spends five minutes trashing the Bills, trashing our organizational direction, and they all just have a good chuckle about it. Now, it was 10 a.m. My friends are off playing blackjack. I'm not a card player. I'm at a casino, though. I don't like slots. I'm not a gambler. So instead, I start angry drinking at 10 o'clock in the morning, Chris. I'll never forget this because the national media thought the Buffalo Bills were a laughing stock. That was just five years ago. And somehow in that short time span, we've gone from quarterbacks being openly mocked by people on national TV to these sorts of wild platitudes being heaped at our feet. And Chris, I'm stunned. I mean, Matt, what do you, what, what do you make of that? That audio right there. So, like, first thing, my first reaction is, like, I think Adam, this came out right after the MVP odds came out, and I think the better headline would have been Best Bets as opposed to Dark Horse. Like, I think Best Bet is, like, okay, the value on Josh Allen at whatever it was, 50 or 70 to 1 to win uh, MVP, like, that's a nice payout if you can get it, right? So, So, I think that it was more in that light than, like, okay, like, Josh is, like, a legitimate MVP candidate. But, listen, the thing is, if if you believe the Bills are a Super Bowl contender, if you think that they're a threat in the AFC, then that is going to mean that Josh Allen is going to be in that conversation because they're going to go as far as he takes them. And to, in this new model where you know seven teams make the, the playoffs in each division, you're going to have to have uh, a pretty nice seating if you're going to make it to the Super Bowl, I think, especially in this, in this year. So I think that Josh Allen, you know, you talk about what are my expectations for him this year, what would be the kind of year that I think Bills fans are you know, hoping for. I mean, you go back to Cam Newton's season when they went to the Super Bowl. Let's talk about Cam Newton for a second, okay? Cam Newton, NFL MVP. Patrick Mahomes, NFL MVP. Lamar Jackson, the most recent NFL MVP. There hasn't been a non-quarterback MVP since AP did it back in 2012. So at least Allen has that going for him. But to look, so for the last five years, it's been nothing but quarterbacks. Now, Chris, in front of you, in our note sheet, you want to look, I've created a chart, as I am wont to do most of the time. The one with Jackson, Mahomes, Brady... Newton. The last five MVP winners, all quarterbacks, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, Matt Ryan, and Cam Newton. Now, when you take a look at their statistics, Chris, what categories did I chart here? Rushing touchdowns, passing touchdowns, total touchdowns, interceptions, and yards. 
Okay, so for passers, so what I took away from looking at the last five years worth of MVP candidates, they each had a minimum of eleven wins. Which I understand wins are you can you can debate whether or not that's a quarterback statistic. I know that 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 debate exists online on other podcasts. They each hit an average of 42 total touchdowns and just nine turnovers. Now think about the makeup of those quarterbacks, Matt. Newton, rushing quarterback. Lamar Jackson, rushing quarterback. But Brady and Ryan, those two were statues. <laughs> and, and obviously, not shocking, they both had zero t- rushing touchdowns in their MVP seasons. Yet... They all accounted for 42 total touchdowns and just nine turnovers. And the average across the board was 4,300 passing yards. Jackson's the only one to win an MVP with less than 3,200. But his rushing contributions and his seven rushing touchdowns put him over the top. So if that's the case, if you're talking about a baseline for what it would take to be in that conversation. And look at what the makeup of the Buffalo Bills offense is. Is that really reasonable to expect? I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I think that if you take last season, you take last season, and Josh Allen finished with 20 passing touchdowns, 9 rushing touchdowns. Cam's MVP season was 35 passing touchdowns and 10 rushing touchdowns. I think that that is kind of what best case scenario, Right. But I think if you can land somewhere around 30 touchdowns, 30 passing touchdowns and eight rushing touchdowns, you're talking about an MVP caliber season. And, you know, one of the things that I think you mentioned those first four quarterbacks, Brady, Ryan, Cam, and Mahomes, they've all in the regular season and put that same kind of tape and success, um, they've done that in the playoffs. Lamar Jackson is now over two in the playoffs. Josh I, Allen is over one in the playoffs. I, I was going to so, say, don't get me started about Lamar Jackson in the playoffs because it's one of the funniest things in the world to me. You're talking about a quarterback who all season long rules the NFL and everybody loves the guy. And the second that two defenses, strong defenses, have made him a pocket passer, he wilts. It's embarrassing. Yeah, well, and, and it goes back to the age-old question of like all these PFF heads that love to just bang the drum for all these like statistical uh, categories. You know, QBR is something that everybody throws at me all the time. Lamar Jackson led the league in QBR last year. What did it mean in January? <laughs> Absolutely nothing because the same thing happened that, that I told people was going to happen. If you go back, I was on a podcast before the uh, divisional round started. And everybody was like talking about um, Baltimore and the eventual uh, showdown with Kansas City. And I'm saying, oh, like, I think this Tennessee defense, I saw them up close and personal in Nashville. They're going to give Lamar Jackson trouble because the Bills, they set the blueprint for how to play Lamar Jackson last year. And over the course of the last eight weeks of the season, you saw Lamar's effectiveness start to deteriorate. And I just didn't see it. And so my point is, you can have all of these amazing statistics and all these like different categories in the regular season. But if you don't do it in the playoffs, it doesn't matter. So if we're talking about an MVP season for Josh Allen, cool. Like if the Bills win 12 games and, and Josh puts up those numbers we just talked about, cool. But even still, at that point, I will sit there and tell you in January next year, do it now in January. Or it doesn't matter. Or at least it doesn't matter nearly as much 
as it does for guys like Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady who have consistently done it now in the playoffs. And even Mahomes, if you go back to his, his sophomore year, I thought he played well enough to beat that Patriots team in that AFC title game. And I said, this dude is coming for everybody last postseason, and he did, and he was the MVP. And he's a guy that could, you know, I don't think he gets enough credit for what he can do as a runner, too. And that's the that's the model of the modern quarterback. Who are the guys that are really dynamic now? I mean, the Josh Allens of the world, uh, you know, Cam Newton obviously dealing with his injuries, but another guy that could do it. And Patrick Mahomes in that in the playoffs. Remember that run? Was it against Tennessee? Where he like scooted up to the sideline and then took it like yeah yeah that was the Patrick Mahomes run. I remember thinking to myself if the if the Chiefs win this game it'll be this play it'll be this play that I look back at and say to myself the quarterback won this game for this team. Unbelievable. So what I'll say is this: ultimately, I think MVP talk for Josh Allen, I think it's too far fetched for my taste. Even if it does underscore the fact that we've somehow gone from media goat to media darling. Thanks to the uptick in success that McDermott and company have kind of had here. I also think that that feeds into some of the inflated, I I guess maybe they're not inflated, Chris. I don't know. Expectations from people about the Buffalo Bills team as a whole. Because to your point, this team will go as far as Allen takes them. And so through that lens, you've got guys like NFL Network's Kyle Brandt doubling down on Allen praise. And talking about what they think would be key considered reasonable for the Buffalo Bills this season. Last year, the Buffalo Bills won 10 games. I think the season was a massive disappointment because they didn't win a playoff game. This year, it's very dangerous. I'm talking title game to satisfy these expectations. And it's this sort of feeling of like, if not now, when? You got the great coach. You got the cool young quarterback. You got the star wideout. You got the great defense. It's like it, it, Buffalo Bills have been waiting this year. If you don't do it now, don't worry, don't let the Dolphins get hot. They're building something special there. The Jets, too. It just reminds me of when Jordan retired the first time. Patrick Ewing begged him. He said, you can't retire. I haven't beat you yet. you got to stay playing. i got to beat you. But sure enough, Jordan leaves to go play baseball. as Peter's wearing the, the Baron shirt today. And the Knicks go right to the finals. So that should be the Bills. Jordan is gone. You better do it now. That's Kyle Brandt. Good morning football on NFL Network. I never thought that I would be pissed off about national attention being focused on the Buffalo Bills for positivity. It never crossed my mind, Chris, that this would be a thing that I'd be yelling at you about in your own kitchen. And yet here we are. (laughs) Here we are. You're talking about a team that has a pair of AFC wildcard playoff losses to its credit, and now the expectation has suddenly become AFC title game? Matt, you work in the media. Please tell me, what the hell is going on? <laughs> this is what happens when a lot of moves that people may have questioned at the time start to pay off, you know? Um, Under-the-radar moves that, you know, Brandon and Sean have made over the years, I mean, they're, they're starting to pay off. It's you know, the, the, the culture, and that's, you know, you mentioned uh, quarterback win. Is, is that a quarter, or are wins a quarterback stat? Such a divisive conversation. Well, culture is a divisive conversation, too. I mean, I think some people you talk to, I mean, some local radio hosts that will tell you that culture doesn't matter, and if anybody thinks that culture matters, like, get out of here. I'd like to and bite those guys I'll in the face. <laughs> What's that? Oh, I, nothing. I just... I said I'd like to bite some of those people in the face. Uh, I, yeah, because like, 
like, listen, I'm up in there every day, man. And I'll tell you right now, I, we joke some t- from time to time about Sean's cliches and, you know, coach speak. And But, you know, guess what? The, the proof is in the pudding. When you win, you can say whatever you want because what you, your program is working. And I'll tell you right now, without any bias, Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean's program has worked to this point. And, but what Kyle said in that bit was very important for Bills fans to understand about what this season could look like from a national media perspective. The expectations are AFC title game. The expectations are that in year four of the build, not calling it a rebuild anymore, the, it, the, the thing has been built. The expectations are through the roof because you went to the playoffs last year and you lost the game you should have won. And you probably could have had a real legitimate chance at going on the road against Kansas City with your really good defense that had already figured out one really good quarterback in Lamar Jackson. Patrick Mahomes is a different story, so don't get me twisted here. But there's a, a, a scenario where the Bills win that game on the road in Kansas City and host the AFC title game for a chance to go to the Super Bowl. And they weren't ready for that. But now those excuses are gone. You built the offense. This is this could be the best defense in the league, guys. Like we could talk a little bit about that. The no. defensive line looks like it's built scary good because what Sean McDermott wants to do with his rotations, everywhere you look, this, there's position flexibility. This I'm is why I, they can all do it all. This is why I love you. I don't have to prep you that much, and you already know what it is we want to talk about. This is why I love you as the consummate professional, and I look forward to your podcast, fucking grabbing hold. Because you have a knack for this. Because that's absolutely something I want to talk about. But before we get to the just talking about what's going to be, I have to ask you this. Because it's been on my mind. It's one of the reasons I reached out to you. Hearing that these are the expectations kind of being lauded at the Buffalo Bills from the national media. Who, Chris, these are the same people that kept telling us, well, Tyrod Taylor, you know, he's good, he's this, he's this. And you could tell as they talked. They'd only looked at a box score. They didn't watch the game. They have no idea that, oh, Tyrod, well, yeah, he doesn't throw interceptions. He also doesn't make ballsy throws. He doesn't try. Chris, you would never see Tyrod Taylor in the fourth, in overtime, in a playoff game, trying to throw into double coverage to a fullback. No. <laughs> take but, the sack. but the fact is, he was, the national media sees what they see because they're trying to watch too much. Here in the local media, you obviously, you've made friends with people. You have your, I don't know what you want to call them. Click. Not just click, but. He's the Shawn Michaels of his Buffalo (laughs) media click. Why? Because he has the best hair? Yes. Well, (laughs) best hair in actual Buffalo media. Second best if you include uh, alternative media like ourselves. Like you mentioned that, it's funny. Like, I... I don't have any, like, I'm I'm really cool with everyone. And, like, you'll notice on my podcast, pretty much everybody in the Buffalo media eventually will be on my podcast because I, I'm a real big believer in collaboration. And, like, this media climate that we're in now, like, dude, you guys are a perfect example. Like, all the crossover pod work that you guys do, like, that's amazing, dude. Like, that's, that's what this thing is all about. And, like, I come from the, the UFC world where that's really, really prevalent. I think that's where I really got my eyes open to it all. Because coming up in school, 
I always thought it had to be like fisticuffs, man. Like I'm in Syracuse <laughs> post ended and I'm up against the Buffalo News and I gotta me and Jay Skirsky gotta be like competitors and oh yeah. No man, when we're on the road we go out and have beers and talk about our little boys who are in the same kindergarten class at Smallwood. So like we're good friends, man. Like I'm good friends with all these guys. Like it's it's a great, great group of guys. But I'll let you ask a question. Well, so now that you've gotten to know them and that you have this camaraderie, here in the local media, how does the opinion of the people who actually watch the games, watch the players play and prepare, how does that kind of compare with these national opinions that are being just kind of thrown around here? Is it a more realistic well, and pragmatic say, view, or do you think it kind of mirrors what we're hearing nationally? No, like, so I think that first off, there's a nice eclectic mix of, of voices in our market. So like, you mentioned Jay, like, he's a real no-nonsense guy, like, he's a little bit harder on the bills than most people, um, you know, he's just like a throwback, like, he's like a real traditional journalist, and it's, and it's, it's, it's fitting, because he works with a lot of, like, old school, like, OG, respected, like, Vic Carucci, Mark Gaughan, those are guys are, 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 are legends in this market, you know what I mean, and so, you got those guys, and then you got you know the guys at the athletic who are uh, I respect so much, and I wouldn't be here without Matt Fairburn. I mean, who I became friends with before I'd even taken this job. I literally saw Scalia, him watching embedded. I hate to I hate to cut unbelievable to me. I, I hate to cut you off. Um, I hate to cut you can off. You hear me? But you no, know, I can hear you. So we were watching Buffalo Bills embedded, and a guy popped up on screen at the combine talking to. Brandon Bean, and I thought it was you, and it turns out it was Matthew Fairburn. Are you two secretly mm-hmm. twins? So, uh, it's funny. Uh, I uh, We were in the locker room somewhere, I think it was in like, November, like a Thursday, and Thursday's, Wednesday's media day, Thursday's kind of a little bit deader, and this was a real dead day in November, and Fridays are like a ghost town. It's only usually the writers that are in there on Fridays, and we're walk, We're just kind of standing in the area where we kind of congregate, kind of near Tommy Sweeney's locker room, or locker, and Shaq Lawson comes walking through from the showers, and he's like walking kind of directly at us. It was just like an awkward moment where we were in each other's way. We were standing where he was trying to get to without us, because we were talking, we weren't paying attention, and he just dead stops, like, in his track, and he's like, you two motherfuckers are creeping me the fuck out. What are you, twins? I said, said, no, we're not doing it. But it is funny, like, I have his whole job, and he's a big reason why, and it's it's a funny story. So, yeah, everybody thinks it's the beard, it's the the way we part our hairs, like, yeah, it's funny. So, but but ultimately, do local media really think that this is the Bills' year? Because, I mean, when I look at the AFC, if you're, Chris, if you're talking about us making the title game, Listen, Baltimore this offseason got more balanced on offense, and they added defensive talent. New England still has an elite secondary and arguably the best coach in NFL history. I don't give a shit what anybody says about Don Shula. I know. I understand the man passed away. I don't mean to speak ill about the dead. Also, Bill Belichick, better head coach. The Kansas City Chiefs added firepower to an offense that doesn't fucking need anymore. And the Steelers have an elite defense and are getting their potential Hall of Fame quarterback back. I mean, Chris, we took them to the mat, and it took till the fourth quarter for the Buffalo Bills to come out on top. 
against a guy whose name is Duck. Yeah. You're not going to win a whole lot of NFL football games if you're first, if you're referred to as Duck. I'm sorry. You don't get out of here. Go home. So with that said, you still have some significant hurdles to getting to this point. What do you think? Just given the fact that we're still this unproven team that hasn't won a wild card round, what, don't you think that the AFC title game or bust claim is kind of absurd to stake? Um, yeah, like if you're putting it in that context, AFC title game or bust, I never think that there's anything like that. Because like, that's what these guys are talking about, and it drives me like crazy. Sean. Yeah, and like, a, like this regime has built so much goodwill with the way that they've built this thing and the, the complete, like, 180 that the culture in the building has made since they've been, arrived. Like, they could, they could probably miss the playoffs and be fine. I mean, they're going to get extended. But <laughs> I think, I think that you asked me about, first question was about the local media and the perception compared to the national. And the second one was what I think. So I think that there's a collection of guys and girls in this market and, and the, and the opinions kind of vary. Some are higher, some are a little bit lower. I think even the most high of the highs, and I'd probably put myself in that tier where I have high expectations for them, I don't think that it's AFC title game or boss. I think it's going to be a hard road to get there with the schedule that they have, with the depth in the AFC. Baltimore got better. Kansas City got better. Pittsburgh's probably going to be better. And, yeah, like you mentioned, some, some good teams in this division, I think, still. But, you know, Jets, Jets and Dolphins are both wild cards. We don't know what they're going to be. And so, from that perspective, I, I think that they, from my own opinion, I think they can win 11 games. I mapped out their, 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 their season and I, I like them. I like the fact that a lot of their tougher games are at home against some of the better quarterbacks, Russell Wilson and Patrick Mahomes, namely. And, uh, but I think that they can, they could probably win 11 games. I'm not as enamored with the difficulty of their schedule as most. Just, I know the West Coast trips are tough, but I think that what negates that is having a head coach that puts so much emphasis on the daily grind and the focus mentality. Like he's the, the team will not get um, overwhelmed with those kinds of odd circumstances because look at how many guys went to the season last year, Ed Oliver, Cody Ford, Mitch Morris, uh, John Feliciano that ended up getting surgeries or Jerry Hughes right after the season. You know what I mean? They played, the whole, basically the whole season, some of them, with, with, with really serious injuries. So I think that this culture has been built not only to have leaders and all of the rah-rah stuff, it's a culture that's been built to not like have yourself fall victim to some of these things that other teams do in the league and, and schedule. That's just not going to be an excuse for Sean McDermott. Okay, so to your point, and that brings me to one of the more interesting parts of tonight pod, tonight's podcast, because you mentioned you think you see them as an 11-win team, and that's hilarious because that's what I picked for the under-over. Considering the Buffalo Bills have six games against top 10 defensive units from a, from a yardage perspective from last season, and six games against offenses that finished in the top 10 for yards per game, what would you say is fair in terms of each of these categories? Josh Allen, total yards, over under 3,800. Oh, man, you put it at a spicy little number. Ah, you, ah. You, um, you know it. Wow. You know, I really I want to say the over just because I think Diggs, 
I think Diggs and John Brown could go for a thousand each this year, and Cole Beasley could be somewhere on their heels. But you know, that's a lot to ask and expect, and I still think that there's development needed. So I'm going to be the boring safe guy and say under because. You know, I was bullish on Josh going into last season, and I said that I thought he could approach 4,000 yards, and I was, I was, I was impressively <laughs> wrong in that uh, prediction. So I'm going to say under 3,800. But man, talk to me in in, in August. I, m- I might have a different answer after I see some of this stuff uh, in practice. Team rushing rank over under fifth in the NFL. Oh, I like that one. Where did they finish last year? You have that, uh, I don't even know. I just, like I said, I'm picking numbers that I think are just, just high enough, but also kind I, of realistic. I think they were eighth last year. So I'm going to say, yes, I'm going to say they will be a top five rushing team this year because I think they upgraded on Frank Gore uh, by Green and Zach Moss. And I say that because, and I'm, and I'm judging based off of when Devin Singletary was the starter down the stretch and what they were getting production wise out of Frank, I think you're going to get more out of Zach Moss and Frank wasn't really on the field a ton on passing down. I have to go back and literally like rip up the tape. And I'm, I'm saying that just by you know, my memory of it, but I think that Moss is a dynamic hard runner and the kinds of runs that they wanted Frank to execute down the stretch. I think Moss can, and I love the continuity on this line that I don't think everybody's talking enough about. Like, they were improved last year, but I think that they have a chance to be, even without some big, sexy addition this offseason, I'm interested to see what Daryl Williams can do, but I think that on, like, 17 games, regular season and one playoff game, together bodes well for their ability to be even better in 2020. So I think just from that perspective, and Bobby Johnson in another year with this coaching staff, no turnover on the offensive side of the ball. It's still Dable, Chad Hall, Rob Boris, Bobby Johnson. I mean, that offensive stable of coaches is the exact same. And so I, I like the continuity factor, and I think that that's going to contribute to the run game. Defensive ranking. Let's switch sides here. Over-under, seventh best in the NFL. I mean, like I said, we play oh. some elite offenses this year. Right. You're bringing the Chiefs to town. Um, you're, you're bringing the Chiefs? You're talking about the Rams. Is that total defense or pass defense? I'll give you pass defense. Seventh. Okay. Seventh is I the think they'll, I think they'll be a. I think they'll be a top five pass defense still. I just – I think this – I think the secondary is going to be good, man. Like I think that – like I was talking to Lorenzo on the podcast last week, and we asked him like – Give us some, like, breakout star candidates. Or not star, like, breakout player candidates to watch. It's a breakout. I mean, I really can't give you a lot of breakouts. Like, most of these guys are already known. He's like, you know what? I'm going to say two. I'm going to say Saran Neal and Jaquan Johnson. And I'm sitting here thinking, like, they don't even see the field. Jaquan Johnson going to be a – I know. But that tells you the kind of depth that they have. So, like, if you're worried about, like, okay, Micah's gotten hurt sometimes and Jordan's gotten hurt sometimes, like, what if one of those guys goes down? They got depth, man. Like, it won't matter. Like, this defense is scary good. Like, scary good. Like, I'm I'm going to put – take Josh Allen's offense out of it, right? I think this defense has a chance to be the top defense in pass defense and total defense. 
this year. Wow. I still think they get there. There might be some issues against the run, but. Well, and then just I'll, just turn twenty. I was gonna say one of the things that I've looked at this year is that our secondary is full of guys. You know, everyone likes to talk about the Patriots. That's the one hat that the Patriots have left to hang their hat on. I mean, the the one hook that they have to hang their hat on is that hey, we have an elite defense, or at least we had one last year. The defense you could argue propelled the New England Patriots to all their success last year because their offense was pretty mediocre. So with that in mind, they're returning most of that secondary. Stephon Gilmore is still going to be, Chris, an elite cornerback. Patrick Chung, who this whole Ed Oliver thing makes me laugh. I said this today, Matt. Imagine being one of these people out here pounding the table for Ed Oliver to get cut. Imagine that being your, after a DUI. Imagine that being your worldview and then watching Patrick Chung fresh off a federal indictment for cocaine possession. Get a two-year extension. <laughs> it's, it's a gut check for people who feel like they have a barometer on what morality means to having a job in the United States, much less the NFL. But with that said, their secondary is returning a ton of talent, but they've lost so much in their front seven. They've lost some of their most impactful linebackers. They've lost some of their most impactful defensive linemen over the last few years. This turnover takes its toll. And without an offense that can bail you out from time to time, inevitably your chickens are going to come home to roost. And I feel like when you look at the Bills, the Bills not only got better in terms of depth in the secondary this year. I mean, they brought back EJ Gaines. And we don't even talk about it. EJ Gaines was a starter in 2017. When the Buffalo Bills, Chris... Also, I'll, I'll never forget this statistic. When he was a starter for the Bills in 2017, and then he went out for that three-game stretch, the Bills allowed 100 extra yards per game without EJ Gaines. Now, he's not even thought of as a guy who might make the team. That's how deep they are in the secondary. And now you've added talent to the front seven. You've added a younger version of what Lorenzo Alexander brings to the game in Alex Klein. You've brought Mario Addison to help the pass rush. You've you've bolstered our defensive line depth. This defense looks like it's built to smash people. <laughs> so when you talk about the defensive ranking, and especially in terms of just the pass, I think one hand's going to feed the other. This defense is going to eat this year. I agree with you. Record. You just said record, and you put it at 11 games. I had it at 10.5. So are you saying you're taking the over? You think the Bills will win 11 or more football games this year? If I was betting my money, I'm probably not taking the over. But if, <laughs> if, I about, my money. <laughs> if, I, if we're just talking about like how many games do I think that they're going to win, I think they're going to win 11 games. Like I think that they – I just think that everywhere I look, there's room for improvement. Like, as good as they were last year in a lot of areas, like even where they were the best, I think that there's room for improvement. I think that John Brown's season that he had last year, I think Stephon Diggs in that role could be even more special. Like, I mean, you talk about over-unders. Like, I'm putting my over-under on yardage for Stephon Diggs at, like, 1250. <laughs> like, I'm putting the over at 1250 yeah. for Stephon Diggs. And I'm saying that because 
what John Brown does well, Stephon Diggs does all of that better. And you go to the Houston game when I feel like they needed that number one guy, and John Brown couldn't deliver. So they had to go to Duke Williams. Like, he got the 10 targets. We've talked about it a million times. Like, okay. But, so I'm going to say 11 wins. I like everything that they've done this offseason. The only thing I think I would have liked them to, to have done is bring in another, like, legit either tackle or guard who I think could compete for a starting job because, like, I think there's too many questions with Daryl Williams in terms of, like, what's he going to be? And also, is he the same guy? Now, I think a lot of those questions they had about other guys, too, that they've brought in in the past, and and we've seen them, like Kevin Johnson was a perfect example. And now he didn't start, but he no, ended up being a very important piece for that last year. When you needed him, team, so. think about it. Levi Wallace struggled so badly in man coverage that they were able to bring in Kevin Johnson, and he paid dividends in man coverage, which is typically when you'd blitz. So yes, they were kind of tipping their hand and they said, look, we're going to, we're going to have this cornerback out there who we're going to have a rotation going on at CB2. And if we're going to blitz, we can't trust, we, we can't trust that Wallace is going to be good in that man coverage enough to blitz and allow him to play zone. So we have to bring him off the field. And it did kind of tip your hand to opposing offenses in terms of what you were trying to do. Now there's no guarantee Wallace even holds on to his job. As a starter, but so with that, I, I want to move on. I can't to, see a situation where he's a starter. So now, I, I now, I, oh, of course not. And that speaks to how deep this defense is. So now we talk about the offense being improved, the offensive line, the skill positions, all this stuff. The last thing I'm going to ask you to give me your over under on postseason wins. Everyone <laughs> thinks that it's foregone. It's a foregone conclusion that the Buffalo Bills are going to make the playoffs this year, right, Chris? Allegedly. Allegedly. What do you think? Uh, over, I would say under. under. My, my over-under is 1.5. Yeah, I go under. 1.5 playoff victories this season for the Buffalo Bills. How many do you see? Now, Chris says under. Yeah, we don't deserve nice things like two wins in the playoffs. <laughs> what do you think, Barino? Mm-hmm. Um... Well, I'm going to say over because I don't think they're going to be the one seed, which means they're going to play on wild card weekend. And I think that they could be a top three team in the AFC. And I think they can win on the road where they proved this last year. So I'm going to say two. I know that's super high expectations, but you're just asking me this question in May like a couple of assholes. So I'm going to say. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, that's our brand. That is our brand, sir, and we wear it proudly. God. Chris, there's a lot on the line this season. It's going to be incredibly interesting to see how this team develops, but on paper. I mean, I was listening to Golik and Wingo this morning on my drive into work, and even they picked the Buffalo Bills, number one in the AFC East. I'm not used to these expectations, and this is really uncomfortable for me. It's going to take me months to acclimate to this. The same way it's going to take months for everybody here to acclimate to what's happening around the team, here locally, what will and won't be allowed. And Chris, that brings me to the final segment for tonight's show. 
New York State and Erie County changing phases and what that means for Buffalo Bills, their fans, and the media. Now, last week we did a deep dive with Ryan Lasel into just the state of sports in the United States in the, the midst of this COVID crisis and how the NFL really is the only one that's set up from a monetary standpoint and from a, from a national attention standpoint to be able to just go about business as usual. Maybe not as usual, but I mean, you're t- Chris, on the drive here, I'm listening to Sarah Spain on ESPN talking about how baseball may not happen this year. Do you not have any music in your truck? <sighs> listen, the only time I need music, the only... You're like, hey, I listen to Trey Wingo and Golick and Sarah Spain, a bunch of losers from ESPN Radio. Ah! Jesus. Chris... What do I need music for? The only time I, I listen to music is when I'm road raging, and that's not good for anybody. So with that said, regardless of what the expectations are for the 2020 Buffalo Bills, fans everywhere got some good news this week. As It seems like we've gotten another step closer to actually seeing football happen here in Buffalo. Now, as you heard in the intro and to the show... people's faces without masks. Oh, Jesus. We're, we're getting close, which I'm not going to lie. Anybody else find it weird? Like, I was, I, I was telling Chris about how he should go to the grocery store to hit on women, but, like, his face is the only thing he has going for him. Yeah. That's literally it. His personality's garbage. So, we, with, with a mask on, Chris, you, you have no hope. No, I don't. <laughs> but as you heard in the intro to the show, Andrew Cuomo announced that various areas of New York State were entering phase one of the reopening plan. Now, from what I've looked up, that essentially entails manufacturing facilities are going to reopen. There's segments of the economy that are going to kind of go back to, I guess, being allowed to be full-scale if they're comfortable doing so. But, but while discussing the scope of various changes to social distancing and business requirements, Cuomo touched on what that meant to sports teams in New York, specifically the Buffalo Bills. Now, I have some thoughts on this, and I'm interested to pick your brain, Matt, on the topic, because I'm sure you're going to have some content regarding this situation in the coming weeks as the situation progresses. I mean, the government, the governor seems to be embracing the idea of pro sports returning. Now, that's helpful, right, for all of us. How relieving is it to someone who works in the business of covering said sport as a profession? Um... You know, it's, it's interesting because I've been kind of looking at what this is going to look like for weeks and weeks and weeks. And, you know, we're so, someone with a family, like, you know, what's the country going to look like when we finally have to start, you know, interacting with, you know, people at the facility and traveling, like getting on planes and you know, a lot of West Coast trips this year. So, yeah, it's definitely like something that, you know, been in my mind, um, I'm pretty excited that we're at this stage now that we still have some runway for a lot of what we, you know, the travel especially, um, to you know, figure out if there's going to be a significant second wave or you know where we're at in terms of, you know, if you think about it, by the time the preseason starts, I mean, we'll probably be, we'll be six to eight weeks removed from the start of phase one. So we should be, you know, have some real strong data. And, and like, look, I mean, how amazing is modern medicine that we're talking about eight different uh, companies that are working on a vaccine and one 
is having like already having like really uh, um, positive early trials. I mean, it's it's just wild to live in 2020 with the kind of just the advancement that we've made in so many areas. But yeah, I think that it, it, everything that's going to happen from this point on, you know, in our in our jobs and in our lives is going to be like dipping your toe in the water and feeling if it's warm or not. Um, because it's, it's unknown, it's uncharted territory and how we act again when we're around people is going to be interesting. Like the interpersonal communication that you built over, over time at a job, like getting thrown back. Concerns, it should be interesting. <laughs> no, I, I, and this is one of the things now that I find interesting about this whole Magilla. We noted in last week's show that it's interesting that Kim Pagula, who is quickly, Chris, would you think, would you say this is a fair statement for me to make? Kim Pagula, more so than Terry, is kind of becoming the face of the franchise. Yeah. She's the one you see making a lot of public statements. She's the one you see getting involved when it comes to. I don't have to look at Terry at a press conference. <laughs> of course, that's your angle. Of course, that's your angle. Here's what I look at. Kim Pagula quickly becoming the face of the franchise. Now personally holds a seat on the governor's state reopening advisory board. We talked about this last week, about how important this is. And now hearing the governor's statements about how he's embracing football and football can happen without, as far as we know, we want football to happen, just not with fans in the seats as of today. Which is, I mean, we're still, Chris, we're still what? Four months away? Yeah, plenty of time. Here's what I see. I see the fact that our one of our owners is on this advisory board. They've now successfully lobbied Cuomo for support for their initiatives twice. Legalization of sports betting and the reopening of sports facilities. Every time you the every time the Pagulas go to Albany, <laughs> like the Jimmy Smith movie. Every time the Pagulas go to Albany, it seems to bear fruit. To me, this illustrates a pattern of influence on state policy formation and just social processes as it pertains to the reality of sports. Now, the same thing, Chris, the Bills aren't alone in this. The same thing has happened out in California. Shortly after multiple sports franchises, especially NFL franchises, the three of them that exist in the state of California all expressed the desire to operate outside the state if the state wouldn't allow them to operate in some capacity, all of a sudden the California governor said, you know what? Okay, maybe we'll relax our standards a little bit and let NFL football teams operate. For anyone questioning why those decisions would happen, we talked about it last week, Chris. The NFL teams are monstrous revenue generators. The biggest in entertainment point blank and period. The NFL is the show and everybody else just lives around it. So having one having one team inside your borders, specifically when revenue, which equates to tax dollars, it's going to become increasingly necessary in the face of massive government spending. It, it, Chris, doesn't it seem to give the NFL a certain amount of clout? Uh, yeah, sure. Matt, what do you think? I mean, yeah, man, the NFL is uh, one of the biggest reasons I took the job that I took. is because, like, working in, in or around the NFL is, is game-changing. And so, you know, 
uh, you mentioned like the Pagulas and him having the, the kind of impact. I, I think that the long and short of it is, you know, these economies, like local, like city economies, are struggling right now. And if you can generate money somehow, and we all know that the bills in this city are probably, if not the top, one of the top revenue generators. I mean, let's face it, um, NFL football teams are essentially, they print money. Money factor. Exactly. That's what they are. Exactly. And so, yeah, I think that, you know, you, you, you want to get this thing rolling again. I, me, me and Ryan were actually talking about this on our pod today about, like, what's this going to look like and, and does fanless football or even, like, um, you know, maybe not fanless, but, like, a percentage of the stadium filled. I mean, is that something that we're going to enjoy the same way? But I think it doesn't matter because – we need we need football. I think everybody like you know we've created this culture and now everybody needs it and however we get it is we got to make it happen. Well, and our guest last week, Ryan Lasel, he he used a phrase that's now become one of my favorite, which is football is property acquisition through violence, which is ultimately something that everybody craves at a base level. Now, here's what I like. With the state government already giving their blessing for the teams to play in empty stadiums, I think it's clear that football is very likely to happen here in Western New York this season, which is great. Albeit, as it, as it currently stands, without fans, we're going to watch how this kind of develops. Now, here's my question for you, Matt. First of all, as someone who covers the team professionally, it gives you peace of mind, obviously, that you're going to have something to do. We have a fantastic slate of games for the Buffalo Bills in 2020. A lot of us get so caught up in our own experience that we lose sight of other people who are kind of involved here other than the owners, the players, and the government. For someone of, for someone of your caliber who attends the games, you're in the locker rooms, you're at the stadium on game days, on practice days, have you personally received any direction or insight as to what training camp and a season without fan attendance might mean for the local media? No. I mean, that we're all kind of like just waiting to hear anything. I mean, you know, this, the, the, the way the Bills are approaching it right now is they can't even really, you know, get things going until at the earliest, June 30th. And so um, we're kind of in a holding pattern to see – what this thing's going to even look like when we finally get there. So, no, <laughs> I got no inside track. Like, I don't know. We're not booking any travel yet. Like, we want to see what this, what the league, you know, what plan they kind of on unhatch on everybody um, with how they're going to handle this, and then we'll all plan accordingly. Well, and I guess that's, I, I guess uh, to me, how impactful is that to your job? I mean, you're talking about, Web conferences rather than the usual huddles under the tent at St. John Fisher. You're talking about no sideline access, no post-practice scrums where, where you have a microphone in a player's face and you get to hear his reaction directly after practice about questions of what's going on around the team. It's the NFL press box. At this point, in 2020, if you're talking about not letting anybody into the stadium because you're worried about social distancing, doesn't the NFL press box almost 
seem like a high risk sort of. It just seems like a high risk thing to try to execute here, doesn't it? Yeah, it's interesting. I don't, I don't know what that's going to look like, and I don't know, you know, how much harder does it make I, I it to do your job, knowing that it, that stuff makes, might have to be done remotely. I think there's a lot of what we what we do that can be done, not there. But the part that's going to be tough is like missing those interactions with the players and the coaches, like when the cameras aren't rolling and when we're able to get a lot of the context that we fill our stories and um, our, our, our general content with. And so, listen, I think that we're on a good path. Like we got to just roll with the punches. And even if that means like, even if somehow we can get back to some type of normalcy by November. Like, I think we just got to kind of take the punches in the meantime, make the best of it, uh, do what we're doing. A lot of people are doing, like, we're, we're, we're trying to just give different types of content that we've never given before, and not just a podcast, and when we have a lot of different ideas. And, and so you just got to get creative in these moments. And that's what we are. We're all creative professionals. I mean, it just tests us a little bit more, but we'll come out of this all right on the other end. I have no doubt about that. As a guy with a family... Would it concern you working in that kind of an environment, knowing the risk associated with getting in close quarters with other people in the media? Let's say they open the press box. Would it cross your mind at all as far as, hey, maybe maybe this is risky? Yeah, I mean, of course, but I would just take the, the proper, you know, um, precautions. I, I've been to Wegmans at least once a week the entire duration of the quarantine and I've had to be careful. I've had to wear a mask and gloves and and dispose of them in a in a in a in a way that is very cautious. And so come home and wash my clothes and wash my body and like I've gone to the, the nines and because my son actually he's somebody that if he were to get this thing it would be real bad news. He's he's immune deficient so um he has to fight things off the same way everybody else would. And we've dealt with that since he was a little uh, baby. And so we've had to be, my wife, her, man, like she's not been able to leave the house much. I mean, she doesn't go to any stores. She doesn't go anywhere because if she were to get sick, I mean, our house would just collapse. So, and then, you know, just giving it to everybody else. So we, we just figured one person going out is the best approach. And, uh, but yeah, how, how we're going to handle all of that remains to be seen. Man, I'll tell you, I hear you because I took on grocery shopping. My my wife's pregnant. I can't let her out, <laughs> which sounds terrible to say I can't let her out. But she jokes around with my parents about it. She calls me the warden. So about the warden won't let me leave the house. But it's because I, 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 I listen, if anybody's going to be at risk, I'd rather have it be me. Right. So I agree. But so with that said, like I you're right. I'm a Nazi. <laughs> I get out there and I. I sanitize. My hands are just destroyed by all of the stuff that I'm putting on them. I'm constantly just sanitizing and washing and sanitizing and washing and washing my clothes. And I'm taking my jacket off and leaving it outside before I come in so that I can later scoop it up in a bag and take. It's a whole process. But ultimately, we care about our families. And this is, this is, these are unprecedented times. It's going to make do, and I guess that's what I think people need to hear because we as fans, again, Chris, you and myself included, we get a little bit wrapped up in this idea that football 
We miss it so badly. We want it to happen no matter what. Yeah, I don't. Uh, would not put it past you to chain yourself to a railing inside of the stadium. <laughs> <laughs> but with that said, we have an understanding of the human cost outside of this, right? Yep. So with that said, Matt, I got to ask you, how excited are you for this 2020 season? Yeah, I'm pumped, man. I mean, I hope it. Uh, I go back to some of the big moments from last year, covering a playoff game, being in Dallas on Thanksgiving, in Pittsburgh on Sunday night for the, their first win in what 45 years, and that's in that uh, Sunday night football against the Steelers. Or no, in Pittsburgh. Period. In Pittsburgh. So, period. And I'll tell you this: I spent the rest of that night listening to shitty 80s music with headphones <laughs> on, so my wife could go to sleep. I didn't even realize what happened. It was like a time warp. I was just drinking beer, and all of a sudden it was 4.30 a.m., and I was still listening to Tarzan Boy by Baltimore. <laughs> are you guys uh, Are you guys Adam Sandler fans? Uh, I was in the 90s. <laughs> yeah, okay. So was his – what was the movie where Renegade by Six played? Was that Billy Madison or was it Big Daddy? Every his- time I hear some Bills fan play that clip – I always think of like Adam Sandler from some movie, and I was trying to think about it actually today, and I can't put my finger on it. I'm assuming it has to be Billy Madison. Yeah, me too. I really think it was. Guys, if you know, tweet at us at Rock Pop. If you know, call in. (laughs) And that you'll get extra points too, because that will mean you listen almost two hours into this fucking thing. And what is wrong with you? Right. Exactly. (laughs) Matt. Good luck to you this year. Tell everybody where they can find you on social media and where they can find your podcast. Yeah, man. At Matt Perino on Twitter. That's the way that's where you'll find all my stuff all the time. Um, that's the best way, uh, the best route into uh, my world. And then, uh, yeah, Matt, uh, Bill's talk with Matt Perino. Real simple. Um, uh, it's on all the platforms. YouTube, uh, search NY Up, and you'll find our page. Subscribe to that. You'll be able to watch the live show every Wednesday night. Uh, eventually, we'll probably uh, multi-stream that on like Facebook and all these other different platforms. But you know, this OBS nonsense, man, that, that's above my uh, <laughs> that's above my knowledge level. So uh, I we found a platform that works for us for now. We'll see if uh, we can uh, up the game as we go here. But for, for now, um, yeah, at Matt Perino. All right, again, you can go follow Matt Perino on Twitter at Matt Perino. Go check out his brand new podcast, Bills Talk. With Matt Perino. And Ryan Talbot. And Ryan Talbot. <laughs> the, uh, the, the picture header says, Bill's Talk with Matt Perino. Although, I don't, I don't know if you want to put Talbot's bald head on there with Perino's hair, second best in Buffalo media. Behind mine, of course. <laughs> Chris, are you actually going to get that thing blonde? Yeah, 11 days. <sighs> Folks, here on the podcast, in the coming weeks, you're going to be... You're going to be hearing a fight between me and Chris when he dyes his hair blonde. There's a fist fight coming, just so you know. (laughs) You're going to love it. It's going to look awesome. Oh, yeah. A blonde mohawk. What you guys are going to love is next week's show. Dr. Kyle Trimble from BankedUpBills.com is going to join us for a deep dive on the Buffalo Bills team as a whole on the injury front and just the NFL. I mean, we're going to talk about how a truncated offseason program could affect league-wide patterns of injuries. And Chris, that's how we got to know Kyle. Oh, by you tweeting out. Tracking off-season injuries. Yeah, I want to know about ACL tears. 
And then Kyle Trimble comes on our show. We're also going to talk about why some teams are quote-unquote snake bit in terms of injury and how much of that is bad luck and how much of that is systemic. And then we're going to look at the Buffalo Bills and see how they stack up on the injury front going into 2020 now that the roster is mostly settled. Next week's show is going to be great. Chris, we've been able to continue weekly podcasts multiple hours long. (laughs) Cool. Thank you for everybody who continues to show up week in and week out. I promise we'll we'll do our best not to disappoint. Unless uh, your wife has a kid. (laughs) Hey, listen, I'll have a lot to talk about. With that said, we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. That was Matt Perino. And this has been the Rock Pile Report. Thanks for.